Well, I can't tell you guys how many of my life problems could be solved if I didn't have such a small bladder. And on that note, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Daisy Drama Queen. Hi, how's everyone doing? So good to talk to you guys again this week. As you know, I had taken a hefty little break. Last week was my first week back. I think last week's episode was one of my favorite episodes and I got great feedback on that. So if you haven't listened to that, please do. Um, It's a little deeper. It's a little deeper and then the end takes us right back into like bullshit, but it is a little deeper in the middle there. You know what I mean? It is the day before Eid when you're listening to this. And this is actually the first Eid since I've gotten married. And in that case, like I guess ever in my life, now that I think of it, that I won't be with family. And same for my husband. It's the first Eid that we won't get to be home with our families. And it's kind of sad. It was kind of sad when we initially were like trying to schedule it and figure out and both of us realized that it's just not going to be realistic this year. We were like, oh, it kind of sucks. Like we won't get to be with either of our families. We won't get to eat all the food. We won't get to dress up with everyone. You know, like obviously our normal traditions. And this Eid is like the loser brother of the other Eid. So I feel bad already. You know, like we're not giving it the lift it deserves. We're all sitting here like, is it 28th? Is it 29th? Is it 30th? Like everyone's trying to, everyone's trying to fit in this Eid with their schedule. Whereas I feel like the other Eid, we're very much like obviously counting down the days and like preparing for it. And our schedule is around that Eid. This one is just like, throw it in. Let's figure it out. What are we doing? Are we eating together? So I am glad that we at least got the last one with our families. But so this year, because we won't be with family, we're just going to make our own little tradition of the whole thing. And after we got over being sad about it, I was like, okay, I ordered an outfit. It's so cute and summery and like light. And Muzi's going to dress up and we're going to go do Eid Namaz together. The masjid here is so cute. I'm sure they'll have something going on. Although it's probably going to be like 100 degrees like it has been. So maybe not. Um, And we have our little our little dog. So we'll hang out with Theo and we'll make it our own little Eid, our own little family Eid. I was thinking of making chicken flour, which now that I'm saying it for Bakra Eid, it feels kind of illegal. It feels kind of morally wrong to not not make something with um, goat. So I just don't know if I have it in me, guys. I don't know if I have, if I have it in me to like wash goat meat and like make goat I feel like it's the right thing to do. I feel like that's what my ancestors would want and my mom and my grandma. Um, We'll see if I have it in me. Let me know what you think I should do. But I'm thinking a cool little chicken blau, something I'm comfortable with, and some instant kheer. I'm going to post that for you guys because my mom growing up, I watched kheer being made like it was like this whole production here well, took forever and it was all the stirring. And I'm like, this is a whole last workout. I could never, there's like an instant version. It's insane. I'm like, oh, we can cut all the steps and do it this way. It's obviously not like top tier, you know, it's not that homemade top tier, but it honestly gets the job done. It's pretty freaking good. And you need like milk. It's the only ingredient you need is milk. So I'm going to do one of those. Maybe I'll make some fruit and I'll make it cutesy. I love a good ambiance, a good little setup, a little Martha Stewart moment. I'm obviously going to get 
eat pictures and do the whole thing. And then I think we'll end the night with some Kashmiri chai, some hookah, and we'll watch Gabi Koshi Gabi Gam. I feel like that's a really solid Eid. And then we'll just like call our families and get all the tea on what's going on with everyone and see everyone's pictures. And I will be all up on Instagram waiting for you guys to drop your Eid pictures. I cannot wait. It's like the best day ever. You know what? Also, my podcast episode about um, the Ramzan Eid was called the Muslim Met Gala. And then I went on TikTok and I was like, I started this. This is something I started. And I've never fit felt cooler. I've never felt cooler. I didn't get any credit, but it's fine. I know what I did. All right. I know what I did for the community. Muzi and I have been in Memphis for almost two years, but our first year we moved in after, after our wedding and our honeymoon and my best friend's wedding. So we moved in like right at the beginning of September and we missed like the Southern heat. It was perfect timing. We got to do like all the showing off. It was so nice because it was cooling down for um chicago and for us it was so nice and warm and i was like haha bitches look at this one perk of moving away from chicago and family was like my one saving grace and then the summer after that we actually spent most of that summer especially me spent most of that summer in chicago so we didn't experience a southern summer in that way either this year southern summers are no fucking joke it is like it should be illegal to be outdoors certain times of the day here guys like i'll step into my i'll sit into my car it's scorching you can't even touch anything let alone drive right but the temperature in the car will be somewhere between 105 and 115 degrees excuse me I'm from a cool Midwest. Summer to me is like 80 degrees. 80 degrees, I'm chilling. I step outside and I'm like, oof, it's hot today. Let's go to the pool. What the F is this weather? I have a very um, low radar social life in Tennessee. A lot of times I'll spend my weekends doing fun self-care things. And one of those is going to the Barnes and Nobles by our home and finding books and just like hanging out in the Starbucks and reading or getting stuff done for like what I want to do for the week or the podcast or content creating, whatever. But like, I'll just spend my time in the Barnes and Nobles. And I used to do this in Chicago too, before I moved, like sometimes when sitting at Starbucks or Dunkin' wasn't that like inspiring, I would go to the Barnes and Nobles and it just would give me all the vibes like it's exactly where I wanted to be just in the middle of all these books that smell like that book smell and there's just all this variety and there's just I don't know it's so cool nerd alert anyways um it was like my favorite place to be growing up because it's not just the books although like looking through books is so much fun it's like the original netflix and chill you know because like you browse and peruse through netflix and look at different titles and you see like am i feeling this am i feeling that and you watch a little trailer and for us growing up that was going to the library or to like a bookstore that who would have thought that i'd be talking about barnes and nobles this much in this episode so i went there's a starbucks in this barnes and nobles that is so cute it always smells like buttery croissants it's amazing as i was looking through like all the different books to see what i wanted to pick up i 
found a book called Confessions of, and I obviously my eyes were immediately then drawn to that book. Um, and it said Confessions of a Sociopath. <laughs> and I picked it up and I was like, um, because I was curious then. I was like, am I a sociopath? Like what what makes up a sociopath? So then I started reading it, um, the back of it, and I was like, relieved and I was like oh thank god no that's not me but it just obviously sounded so close to the beginning of my podcast so I was like I I don't know this am I being drawn to this is this a sign um that's not what I ended up picking up thank god uh if there were any signs of it and also some of these names these like book titles if I ever wrote a book if I ever wrote a book it would be confessions of a daisy drama queen right obviously but every time I see different book titles or like lipstick names I'm like whose job is it to create these names or bring these names to the table? Because I would fucking love that job. Like Velvet Teddy for a lipstick name is so fucking good and spot on. Is that what it's called? I'm pretty sure that's what it is. That Mac nude. Ruby Woo for a red. Like so good. So I sat down. I had a cute little session. I had a good time. I'm leaving and the woman at the front desk is like, oh, I'm, I'm glad I got to check you out before the power went out. And I was like, oh, is there a storm coming? I've been here now. I know now that when it rains here, it fucking rains. It's like Meryl Streep and Devil Wears Prada in Miami when she wants Andy to get her out of the fucking storm to make it to the twins recital and she can't make it. And she's like, it's just nothing here. It's just drizzling. And you hear like, the wrath of God, like crack into the sky. That's what it was like yesterday. I left Barnes and Nobles the second I left. And let me, let me pause here. Let me pause here and give you a little backstory on why this is such a big deal for me. When I was a little youngster, I was, how old must have I been? I, I want to say I was nine or 10 years old. I was nine or 10 years old. And I remember it like it was yesterday. My parents, my family love doing a little Orlando trip. Like my parents were obsessed with taking us. And it was so nice. It actually was really nice that they did this for us because I've gone as an adult and that shit is so fucking expensive. My kids better kiss my feet if I'm paying hundreds of dollars per person for them to go to these theme parks day after day after day. So anyways, we would go to these, uh, we would go to like Universal and, and Disneyland and and I remember at that time, the most popular rides were like the um, E.T. ride, the Twister ride. Simpsons was like brand spanking new. That was like the It ride. But the Twister ride, Jaws, all of those, right? Like just terror, just true terror. I did not know what the Twister ride was. I thought it would be like... I thought it would be like, I, I don't know, actually. I actually had no idea what to expect. It was just, we had gone on all these rides. They were really fun. So we get in line for Twister. You remember back in the day before Flash Passes, the lines were like hours and hours long and like nobody's parents are paying for Flash Passes, rightfully so. So we were in line for that ride and it's like, you're watching the tension build up on all the screens because it's basically the cast of the Twister movie and they're talking about how a storm is coming and how they're going to gauge it and what their plan is and blah, 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 blah. 
So I'm like, I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, this this is kind of scary. It's like, it's repeating so many times that it's starting to feel like real life. And the basis of this ride is that you're in like a branch style house, basically. And you're walking through this house and there's these massive fans everywhere. And if you have been on this ride, I know you're laughing because I'm sure you can like literally visualize it. It's so janky and scary already as you're like walking through the house. But then you get to the main like quote unquote attraction part of this quote unquote ride. Okay. Experience, terror, whatever you fucking call it. And you're basically standing on the back porch of this house, this like wooden house, and you're watching a storm happen. And then all of a sudden, a tornado starts forming. And this tornado looks so real. Like I truly, truly thought I was in the depths of hell. Okay. It was so real. And this tornado is causing just chaos. And then the bottom of where you're standing, literally the ground drops underneath you. So you like almost fall and you have to hold on to the railing of this wooden house. And then the tornado causes a legitimate fire. And you can like feel the heat coming from this fire that the tornado creates. And there's a cow and the cow's fucking like flying into the tornado and all this stuff is like breaking off and storm is crazy and terrifying. I started bawling. <laughs> I started bawling. I was so terrified, you guys. Like I, I was, I, I was like, I cannot, I can't, I can't look. And my, I think my parents thought it was funny. And I was like, no, no, like this is actually terrifying. So, you know, this stays in my mind and the, the, um, overthinker and visual person I am, I couldn't get any of this out of my mind. Like I couldn't get it out of my head. I became, we came back home to Chicago. Everyone had a great old vacation, a grand old time. I came home, I went to the library, (laughs) my favorite place in the world. And you know, like in elementary school, you would have a library day every week. It was library day. And I picked up the maximum books that I was allowed to check out. Every single one of them on tornadoes. Every single one. I went home and I literally became obsessed with tornadoes, not out of fascination of them, out of fear. I was like, education is, knowledge is power. I need to understand this. I need to know what to do. Not if this happens, when this hits, I need to know how to survive it. It was like, it was crazy. I couldn't watch the Twister movies anymore. I was so terrified of them. Every single time, you guys, that there was a thunderstorm, I would make promises to God and literally promise to pray minimum three namaz every single day. And I kept up with that. I kept up with that. I can't tell you for how long. It wasn't that long. It wasn't that long. But like, it was at least a year or two where I was like, God, please don't let the death of me be from a tornado. I will do anything anything to not go that way and so I would pray and so okay my point of telling you all this is now now you have this background you understand how deeply rooted this fear was for me back to Barnes and Nobles 
back to Barnes and Nobles yesterday. I'm leaving. The lady at the register was like, oh yeah, storm's coming. I was like, oh, okay. Any other time in Memphis that there's been a horrific storm that's like caused major power outages, I've been in my home and I've stepped out after the storm and like seen the damage that happens. It's crazy. The one that happened a couple of weeks ago, it took an entire block of power lines out, like completely out. They were on the floor. It was so crazy. I step out of Barnes and Nobles and it looks like a tornado is brewing. It is terrifying. The Like, I swear it was like a movie scene. The lights are flickering, like the lamps, the big lamps in parking lots. The lamps are, are flickering. It's 6.30 p.m. and it is pitch black outside. Normally it doesn't get dark here till 8.15, 8.30. It is pitch black. And like the wind is beginning, like you can see the wind on the ground and the trees going crazy. And Lizzie calls me and he's like, I think there's a storm. Like maybe you want to head home. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. And I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be cool. I'm like, no, 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 it, it's okay. It's going to be fine. Like I'm, I'm going to head home. I get out of the Barnes and Nobles parking lot and the storm hits like, like just immediately. So I would say that Barnes & Noble is like a 15-minute drive back to my home. Is this dangerous that I'm giving that much information? I would say that the Barnes & Nobles is like a few miles away. Let me just keep it vague. A few miles away. Um, I get on the main road. It's a straight shot back to our place. The storm, you guys, I, I'm not joking. It was like all my childhood fears came back. I have never been so fucking terrified outside of the time I was on the Twister ride, but this is like the real deal. I'm driving my little Fisher-Price tiny-ass car on this like three-lane per-direction road, main like main road in Memphis. The trees are huge here. The power lines in the trees are like wavering. And I've already seen, mind you, a couple of weeks ago that the power lines fell and I can't stop like thinking that they could fall over our cars. As we're driving, each street light is like blowing, like we're losing power as we're driving. A lot of the businesses are starting to lose power. We get to a stoplight and I see one of the signs on the left of me. It doesn't go out like the power goes out. It completely blows and then there's sparks and the storm is horrific. Like you can't see anything. It's so windy. It's so rainy rainy is that a word like it's raining so aggressively it's so windy and Muzi's on the phone with me trying to like you know talk to me as I'm driving I can't hear him he can't hear me I start crying I'm like this is this is how I'm gonna go like this is my worst fear ever and like I, I could not get a grip I was so fucking terrified driving home every single plaza in the couple blocks from my home including walmart every major business everything and i'm on the phone with musi and i think i told you guys this but i'm gonna say it again we had gotten into a fight a couple days ago so it was just like bad timing all around i'm like if this is the way i go and we got into a fight a couple days ago and we're just like so annoyed of each other and then we're on the it was just such a mess it was really really bad anyways alhamdulillah i made it home parked the car I came home and the power went out. Oh, right. And it's time for the next segment. I wish I had some kind of audio. I need to figure out some kind of audio to take me from, you know, talking about tornadoes and like near death experiences to 
judgment in being a Daisy woman and all of that. So I really this week want to talk about something I've been seeing come up a lot lately, which is, you know, there's a huge shift towards and a popularity of trying to live in an abundance mindset. And I didn't know that there was a term for it, but this is something that I have been actively working on too, because I realized it's not something I grew up with. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, well, you know, I actually think that I'm not alone in that. I actually do think that most Desi people probably didn't grow up with an abundance mindset because their parents didn't teach them that because their parents weren't raised that way. And what I mean by that is an abundance mindset is you accepting, acknowledging, and understanding that someone else's success someone else's growth, someone else's opportunities, money, any of it does not negatively impact your potential. There is not a scarcity of opportunity in the world. There is an abundance of opportunity in the world and whatever's meant for you is going to come to you. But really, you don't have to live like you're grasping at straws with every opportunity and that if someone else got something, then you also now can't have that thing. It's all of that, right? And I was really thinking about why it is that most of us, maybe I won't say most of us, because some of you maybe have grown up that way. And if you have, I would love to hear your perspective. And I would actually be so interested in understanding what you think of other Desi women. And if you've noticed that Desi women struggle with this, because I believe I have a theory that Desi women struggle with this because of a couple of things. I think one, you could have grown up with a mom, aunt, grandma, sister, all of the above that really compared and made you feel like if you didn't have certain qualities or certain achievements, whether that be internal or external, and I mean, it could be academic achievements. Why weren't you the one to get the 100% in the class? Why weren't you the one to get the biggest award? Why didn't you get this score on your ECT? It could have been academic achievement. It could have been looks. I know for sure that there are these moms that walk into rooms like, why don't you look like that girl? That girl's so pretty because she's fair. That girl's so pretty because she's tall. That girl's so pretty because she's thin. Look at her hair. She has such beautiful hair. Look at her eyes. She has such beautiful eyes. Like, and you know, sometimes I don't even think that it was intentional. I don't think that necessarily, you know, our moms are coming from a vicious place at all. I just think it's just the best and like the only way that they knew how to talk about other women because they were raised to believe that someone lands somewhere in a hierarchy of being the best and being the worst. You are the prettiest. You have the prettiest daughters. You have the smartest son. You have the greatest kids. You have the most religious kids. You are the most religious. There was always a scale and you were always measured on that scale against other women in your community. They see moms didn't get to pick their partners 
there wasn't a lot of cultivation of self-love. There wasn't a lot of cultivation of confidence even from their partners. They also didn't know or have the resources to really prioritize their external beauty, maybe the way they wanted to. They didn't have all the makeup we have. They didn't have all the access to doing the makeup that we have. They didn't have all the opportunities to fix their teeth and fix their jawline and fix their lips. None of that existed. So you just never felt there was always someone prettier in the room. There was always someone smarter in the room. And I think they wanted better for their own daughters. (laughs) I'm so sorry if you hear growling. It's my dog. He's being super dramatic. They wanted better for their daughters and they wanted their daughters to to then be the best because now you're living through them, right? Now you're a mom and you've let yourself go in a lot of ways and it's, you know, tacky for you to prioritize your external beauty, your internal beauty, all of it, your education, all of it. And so you're projecting all of that onto your daughters. And now there's this huge priority and, and pressure that you're putting on your daughters to be the best of blink my mom you know i have a sister and we're three years apart she's like the best of me and then so much better exponentially so much cooler exponentially so much better and my music taste is from her i learn all the cool things from her she's funny like she's just everything she has so much spunk and personality So does my brother. My siblings are so freaking cool. I love them so much. I cannot wait to do an episode where you guys get to meet them because they are just, they're just the best. But my mom always had this thing where like, if me or my sister growing up would be like, oh, and -and so-and-so is so pretty. We could be talking about an actress, you guys. And my mom would turn around and look at me and my sister and she'd be like, oh, and you two are any less? Why do you always think that? Why do you always think that so-and-so is prettier than you? And I'm like, mom, it's okay for me to think that Ashwari Harai is prettier than me. As I like sit in the family room with like my caterpillar eyebrows, mustache, like I'm like, it's okay. You don't have to lie in this moment. And as a kid, I would get so irritated because I'm like, can't she just be honest? Like, obviously this person's so pretty. My mom was so kind. She truly never made us feel like we weren't so beautiful, but she also, and so she didn't ever compare us to being less beautiful than anyone in the room. At the same time, I also never really heard her compliment other women really openly. Do you know what I mean? Like my mom was not the first to walk into a room and be like, oh my God, your daughter's so beautiful. Oh my God, her hair. Like she just wasn't like that. And as an adult, I really... I feel two ways about it. One, I really appreciate it because I I feel like my mom loves people and definitely values people for more than just their looks, which I thought was very normal growing up. Like I didn't see to that degree that that I saw when I was in high school and and after how much other Daisy moms were like nicer to girls that were prettier. And, you know, would compare their own daughters. And I've seen it in multiple different ways. I've seen it where I would hear moms compare their daughter's skin tone 
to me and my sister's skin tone. And it would make me so uncomfortable because, again, my mom was not like that. So I was like, why would you say that about your daughter? Why would you say that in front? Of, and you could see you guys. It's like and if you've gone through this, I just want to give you a hug because I've seen it happen. And it it's like it's genuinely heartbreaking to watch someone watch their mom talk about someone else more beautiful than them. Like that that really is really heartbreaking. At the same time, my grandma was always such a character, but I have also heard my grandma look at me and be like, what the F is happening with your skin? What are you doing to your skin? Look at so-and-so. Her skin's so beautiful. Like, don't you want skin? And I'm like, yeah, I would love to fucking have skin like so-and-so, but I don't have buttery smooth skin. It's just not what happens for me. She would even sometimes do it between me and my sister. Again, not with any malicious intent, but she'd be like, Sana, look at Rabia's skin. Rabia's skin is so beautiful. Like, why don't you do what Robbie's doing? And I'm like, Maji, it doesn't fucking work for me. It doesn't work for me. That's just not, it doesn't work for me. And she would do the same thing about weight. She would do the same thing about gold. Like if I went to weddings and wasn't wearing gold, she'd be like, oh, but look, so-and-so is wearing so much gold. So like small examples, but it's so, it just, it was just things that happened when we were younger. I feel like this conversation requires a lot of really careful attention. I just want to make sure that that's what I'm doing when I'm talking about it. You know, I mentioned my mom did not really give my sister and I a complex about how we looked. It, she just didn't overemphasize looks because to date, I don't think she's ever said anything that would make me overly value myself externally do you know what I mean and this is not a bad thing I, I think it's actually really amazing that she did that the one thing when it came to appearance the one thing that my mom would say is if we ever compared ourselves to anyone else she would shut it down immediately me or my sister if either of us said so and so so pretty again even if it was a celebrity my mom would very quickly and she could have been straight up lying through her teeth right but she very quickly would make the point to say, don't ever put yourself in a lower category than someone else because you think you're not as beautiful as them. Don't ever think you're less than someone because you think you're not as externally beautiful as them. And I think that was really good values that she put in us. There are so many other Desi women that only value external beauty. And are pretty hard on their own daughters, are pretty hard on themselves, are pretty hard on other women, and they really value women based on their external beauty. It's so obvious too who these aunties are. Like you'll know you'll walk into a room and like the aunties are the nicest to the girls that are so cute. Don't give any time of day or attention to anyone else. And so like you'll you know exactly who I'm talking about, but I think that can cause a lot of damage too. And what my mom and dad did really prioritize was education and being like at the highest level academically it was very important to them and they valued it very, very highly. And so I don't think I grew up associating external beauty on that measurement scale as something that I needed to be the best in. I think I grew up 
feeling like my measurement scale that I needed to like prove to my parents that I'm the best in was academically. They wanted me to be the absolute best academically. And that's where I put the most pressure on myself. The pressure came from external factors, from having crushes on boys or being around other girls and comparing myself naturally. Like those things came for external beauty on their own. Put yourself in a fucking public high school with mostly white girls anywhere in America and you'll grow up with doubt and needing to know that you're not ugly. That'll come on its own. But for my parents and in my family home, that's not where the measurement or that sparsity mindset lied in my family dynamic. I know for a fact that a lot of women grew up with that in their family dynamic being compared, needing to be the most beautiful, needing to be the skinniest, needing to be the whitest. Like there, that was their biggest obstacle at home or their biggest scale for measurement at home where they needed to be the best and what their parents maybe maybe valued most. Maybe in other houses, it was how good you can dance. Maybe in other houses, it was how good you can cook. Maybe in other households, it was how well do you take care of your family? How quiet are you? How non-confrontational are you? Like there are so, right? Like in everybody's household, it's very different. I grew up feeling like there was only so much success available in the world and that for me to be successful, there was so much pressure that I needed to be so smart and I needed to be the absolute best and I kept missing the mark. I would get really good scores in my ACT, but it wasn't exactly over a 30. It was right at and under. I wanted to apply to these really good colleges, but I would stop myself because, yeah, but like, you know, they're only going to pick the best of the best. I thought I wanted to go to medical school because that's what smart people do. Smart people go to medical school. I like it was just so important for me to be valued as and seen as someone that's really intelligent because that's something that was so valued in my household. So I feel like that impacted me in the way I viewed money and a career and success because to me, those things are sparse. It is not everyone that gets to those levels. And that's because that's what I was taught. I was taught that there are only, if you're going to be anything, be the best of it. And I think that's actually good advice. That's that's really good advice. But when you're growing up in a community of people, of girls and boys that are so similar to you, right? Like in the Daisy community, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs and Daisy communities. A lot of us are so similar. What sets you apart? What makes you different? What makes you unique? You need that to feel like you're someone special or to feel unique or like you're valuable. And if you're not the best in something, then you're just like everybody else. And growing up, because a lot of us grew up with either immigrant parents or grandparents, it was like this climbing a mountain to success, climbing a mountain to being the best. You want to be so, so, so unique. You want to be so special. You want to be so successful. It doesn't, it didn't feel like that success was available to everyone in our parents' generation, in our parents' parents' generation, because they really believed it wasn't. And maybe it really actually wasn't. Maybe we're able to say this today and have these 
you know, really profound thoughts about having an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset because we have all our basic necessities met and we can work towards greatness and whatever. And, you know, the world is open for all of us, but maybe it really wasn't at that time. Maybe it really was. You have to scratch your way up the surface and really just push your way to the top and be the one to make it to the top. Otherwise, you're not going to get out of whatever terrible situation, hard situation it is that you're in, right? And I know for my parents, that was coming to America. For a lot of our parents, it was probably coming to America, being the one to get the, you know, the minority job that was really going to skyrocket you into the better job and getting that one spot in the college. So really, they, they weren't wrong in their thought process. But what it did for our generation, where our generation really did have, and I'm talking about millennials, Gen Z, we really do have opportunity to do whatever we want. We really can attract whatever we want. There isn't a need to feel like there isn't enough space in the world for us, that there isn't enough room to grow for us. And a lot of that is that we just are more comfortable taking up more space. Back in the day, there was maybe the one brown guy on TV. No, you can take up more space. We had to learn or have to learn somewhere in our lives to switch that mindset, not serving you or me to sit and feel like we can't reach whatever it is that we want to reach. We can't look however it is that we want to look. We can't be the best at whatever it is that we want to be because there can only be one. That's not serving us today. I bring this up because I had posted this like hot takes poll and I'm going to get into some of them next week because we're already deep into this episode. And so we'll save those for next week and maybe I'll get some more new ones from you guys. But some of the hot takes I got was one of the big ones was around toxicity in Desi households with comparison. And the worst part is the comparison would not even always be the distant random, you know, so-and-so that you would see at a wedding every few months. The comparisons would be to your own family, your own sisters, your own cousins. That is so detrimental to the relationships that are supposed to be so sacred to us. It's so unfair and such a disservice to pin a girl already going through this really sad, lonely world with thick ass eyebrows, no one on TV that looks like you. Like, it's already hard enough to be Daisy in, the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s America. Then you're going to really fucking sit and compare us to our cousins and sisters, and you're going to make us feel less than even the people that are our safe space. No, what the hell? No, that's so wrong and so unfair. And if you grew up that way, I'm so sorry. I just want to give you a hug because that's not right. It's not right that you have to dig yourself out of that kind of place and convince yourself that, you know, you're worthy because you're being compared to people that are supposed to be your safe space. It's also not fair to be compared to random people because it could be the worst person in the world that's the most gorgeous person in the world. But I feel like that's obvious. We know that, but we can't help it. But when it's someone that is close to you and there's potential for such a beautiful relationship with the women around you and that's who we're being compared against, that's fucking terrible. It's terrible. And even within friendships, 
when so many people are trying to achieve so many things and all of us want to be great. I even struggle with, and this is something I'm actively working on in therapy and just in life to continuously understand and be open to and be receptive of what is for me is going to come to me and what's for someone else is meant for them. Also okay to be so overjoyed for someone else. And that's also something that we didn't grow up seeing that often. Women didn't celebrate other women. Women celebrated their husbands, their kids, their successes. But how often did we see women celebrate each other? And maybe, honestly, maybe this will be more of a two-part series because I I feel like this is a, a longer conversation than just one episode because it bled into our adult lives so much. I know for me it did, career-wise it did, because I only now am I sitting and I'm like, I really can do whatever I want. I really can achieve whatever I want. I'm my biggest obstacle. And I think that's really hard to accept and learn. I think that there's so much for us to unpack in this in this arena here of comparison, of the toxicity of comparison within they see women specifically and how it impacted us growing up, how it could have impacted every or any part of our lives. It could have impacted our careers. It could have impacted who we picked as our partners, our friendships, our relationships with our families. How are we going to celebrate each other more, live with an abundance mindset, know that what's for us is meant for us, know that we can applaud each other and celebrate each other and be in the same spaces and take up a lot of space and it's really easy to say that i feel like it's really easy to just sit and be like yeah women should take up a lot of space it feels like almost such like obvious and kind of tacky stuff to say but i'm saying it because if we do it with more intention then maybe we'll start seeing the results that we want we'll start seeing things manifest for us that we want to happen and we'll be able to rid ourselves and almost like detox ourselves from that kind of negativity and those thoughts that are intrusive that keep coming forward. Something my therapist said to me that I'll end with that I thought was so beautiful and fascinating was we were talking about, I don't remember where it came from exactly, but we were talking about like themes of comparison or themes of people not being good enough. And out of that, she said something to me along the lines of it. And because it was so visual, it really stuck with me. She said, sometimes it's said that people go through trauma and that trauma creates cracks within a person so that light can come in, so that they can receive light, right? And she was saying to me that actually, it's also possible that sometimes people go through trauma so that the cracks that it creates lets light out of that person, that it lets you radiate out. The best you can control and the best you can do is radiate out your best self. And I just thought that was so fucking beautiful and fascinating because it's so, to me, that feels so right and true is the, the best that I can do is recognize and understand what the traumas are for me that create the cracks in me 
and what light I'm going to let out of that because that's what I can put out into the world. Instead of being so concerned about what it is that other people are doing for me. You know what I mean? We took all kinds of twists and turns today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I will talk to you next week. I hope you have a beautiful Bakra Eve. I can't wait to see all your Eve pictures. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.